All right, so theology is to speak of God or to study God. That's the basic idea. And so I wrote up here on the board the two words where it comes from. This is how we get theology. Okay. And you've seen that word ology before. Uh, it comes after all kinds of stuff that you study, right? Biology, uh, astrology. Okay. It's the, the study of something, but really it comes from this Greek word that's hidden in here, logos. And that's the word for word. Okay? That's the word that means word. So it means to speak of something, to talk through it, to study it. Uh, that's what that ending means. That suffix means when it's put on a word. And when we talk about theology, it means to speak of God or to study God. Theology is often called basically the study of God, and that is true. And there are two ways theology can be organized systematically and biblically. Okay, so I just want to give you basic definitions of this, but first I'm going to give you some quotes that may or may not be helpful. Okay, a couple of theologians. Andreas Kostenberger says that biblical theology flows naturally from careful biblical interpretation as it tries to explore the teachings and major themes of Scripture within the orbit of the overall biblical storyline. I'll give you a different definition than that here in just a second. That kind of hopefully simplifies that a bit. Systematic theology is any study that answers the question, what does the whole Bible teach us today about any given topic? And that's from Wayne Grudem in his Systematic Theology. So to put it another way, you could say this, and this is what I'd like for you to write down in your notes. Biblical theology traces a particular topic through the Bible as God's revelation builds upon itself. So it's tracing a theme progressively through the Bible. If you were to develop a biblical theology of covenant, for example, what you would do is you'd go back to Genesis and you'd look at where the first covenant was made that God has revealed to us. And you kind of, you just trace that, uh, the, the theme throughout scripture. You'll see that Abram made a covenant with, uh, man, what was that guy's name? Uh, there was another man that Abram made a covenant with. Uh, a, a, it starts with an A. I almost have it. Genesis 17, 18, somewhere in there. I can't remember. Uh, but before that, you have God making a covenant with Abraham. So if you were to study covenant through the Bible to get a biblical theology of covenant, that's what you would do is you'd go from Genesis to Revelation tracing that theme. And I'm going to have to look up that guy's name because that's going to drive me nuts. And then systematic theology, on the other hand, it's concerned with how all the topics of the Bible fit together. So biblical theology traces a theme progressively through the Bible. But systematic theology, it's basically answering the major questions of the faith. So if someone was to ask, what is God like? You would probably give them an answer based on your systematic theology, a 50,000 foot view of here are the, the major things that the Bible says, and here's how they fit together. This is what God is like. Or if someone was to say, what is the church anyway? Well, what is the church? Well, you're probably not going to give them an answer that traces that idea from Genesis to Revelation. You're probably going to give them an answer based on your systematic theology that's a big picture idea that shows how all of these things fit together. And so what we see is that biblical theology is the foundation for systematic theology. When you do your biblical theology right, you have a foundation for how you can answer from a high-level view. Biblical theology is kind of in the weeds, going through Scripture. Systematic theology is way up high and says this is how it all works, how it all fits together. And in this class, we're going to be mainly focused here on systematic 
theology. Okay, we're not taking certain themes like, well, let's talk about sin, and then we're going to start at Genesis and follow that theme all through Revelation. We're going to take the biggest passages, the clearest passages about sin, for example, and show how they fit together to give an overall doctrine of sin. Okay, so that's the, the difference between the two, and it's important to have a little bit of that distinction in your mind. Why does it matter? Why does any of this matter when it comes to theology? Well, we need to recognize that one, everyone is a theologian, right? You've not met one person who isn't a theologian. Everyone has some sort of idea about God, whether that's, I don't believe he exists, or I believe that he is one of many gods, that there are are lots and lots and lots of gods out there, or anything in between. Everyone's got an idea about God. Everyone is a theologian. And we desire to be biblical theologians, don't we? That's the purpose of being at a Bible church, is you want to know what the Bible says, and you want to base your belief about God on what the Bible has to say. So everyone is a theologian, but we desire to be biblical theologians. We want to know God as far as He has revealed Himself. We want to discover more of God's design and purpose for man. That's our goal. If that's not our goal, then we're here for the wrong reason, okay? Our goal here is to come together to study what the Bible has to say about God and man and to get it right. We want to worship God in both spirit and truth. In spirit and in truth. Elimelech. It just hit me. Abram and Elimelech. Okay, I feel better. We have been commissioned to share our theology with the world too, haven't we? We've been commissioned to share truth with our neighbors. And so how good are we going to do if we don't have biblical truth figured out? We're not going to do a very good job sharing truth if we don't have a grip on what Scripture says. And so our goal is to find out what Scripture has to say about God, what Scripture has to say about man, and how we can share these uh, truths with the world. It is our goal in this class to apply the whole of Scripture to the main themes of Scripture to better understand our faith. That's what we're doing here. To apply the whole of Scripture to the main themes of Scripture to better understand our faith. Okay, now this is where it gets really important. Uh, You have this as a blank on your notes. There are varying levels of importance within doctrine and theology. Within Christian doctrine, there are varying levels of importance. And this is what we're going to spend the rest of the class on. I think it's it's that critical that we get this right. Uh, We're going to think through this, okay? Not every doctrine is a hill to die on. Okay, Got to embrace this reality here, all right? Christians have many convictions, but not every one of them is worth dying for. Simply put, there are primary doctrines, secondary doctrines, and doubtful doctrines, and we'll talk about that in a moment. But here's the uh, illustration I like to use. So uh, you know, I've given you this definition of theology and what our goal here is in this class, and, and now I'm, I'm telling you, Not all areas of theology are equally important. And here's an illustration. If you are on a plane and it's going down, hopefully none of you have a fear of flights. I'm just stoking the flames there. But (laughs) my dad is that way. My dad's never flown, if you can believe that. Uh, He just refuses. Okay, well, you're on a plane. Captain comes on and says, we're toast. All right. And you as a Christian are compelled to stand up and say something because you're about to die along with everybody else in the cabin. Do you stand up and say, listen to me, 
It is very important that you get this right. In the end, there will be a rapture, and then after the rapture, there will be a seven-year tribulation period, and after that, uh, the Lord will return and establish a literal 1,000-year kingdom, and here are the things that will happen. With the last minute of breath that you have, is that what you're going to say? No. Now, are those things important? Yes. But are they as important as the gospel? No, they are not. So, as the plane's going down and you have a minute left, you are going, hopefully, to impart the message, even if it's just to the person sitting next to you, the message of what someone must believe in order to be saved. Romans 10, 9 and 10 talks about how if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's the central message. If you, you can jot this reference down. It's 1 Corinthians 15, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the first few verses there. Paul says to the Corinthians, I delivered to you what was of first importance. He uses this kind of terminology right there in 1 Corinthians. And he goes on to say that Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures and was buried and rose again according to the scriptures. That has to be what's of first importance in our minds, okay? We have to have that in our minds as more important than what is to follow. Uh, even though everything is important, there's a level of importance. So there's this chart. I'll give this to you at the end today. It's a chart that I made. This isn't scripture. This isn't gospel. I think it's helpful to think through. You do not have to agree with me on where I've landed in sorting these things out. You can think through it yourself. But we see within Christianity, we have what is called primary doctrine. And right here at the top has to be the gospel. The gospel is primary of primaries. Hold on just a second, Stan. Primary of primaries. And then we have the class of secondary doctrine. And then what is secondary? We have all sorts of things that affect our worldview. I mean, these things are important. They affect the way that we look at the world. And they affect the methodology, particularly for churches. And then we have this whole area, probably what would be the longest list, if we could sit down and write out everything we could think of, of what's called a doubtful thing or an opinion. Romans 14 talks about don't judge one another based on opinions. And how many things do you have an opinion about? Yeah, it's basically an infinite list, isn't it? We all have a lot of opinions. Okay? Now, these opinions are going to be uh, fenced in and limited by what is true. So you can't have an opinion that say getting drunk is just fine. That's my opinion. Well, Scripture clearly says that drunkenness is a sin. And so these are going to be limited by these. Okay, but still, it's a long list of opinions. Stan. Can we get a copy of that? At the end of the class, yes. At the end of the class. Oh, okay. If I gave it to you now, it would kind of ruin this activity we're about to do. Okay, so I, I'm, I'm withholding it. But let me give you these definitions. You, you see that you have uh, some blanks there you can fill in. Mm -hmm. Let me give you some definitions. So for primary doctrine, that is truth that affects fellowship with others. Truth that affects fellowship with others. So if someone disagrees with you on what is primary, that means you're not going to be able to look at that person and affirm that that person is a Christian. You can't fellowship with that person as a Christian. Real basic level, someone says God doesn't exist. That person has violated a primary doctrine, right? And you can't say, well, you can still be a Christian as an atheist. You can't say that, okay? So that's just real basic elementary way of understanding it. Secondary doctrine, convictions that affect ministry with others. Convictions 
that affect ministry with others. So I'll give you an example of that. You have Presbyterians and Baptists. Baptists baptize adults who confess the gospel. That's us. Lowercase b Baptist. We're not capital B Baptist. Though we have great potlucks. Uh, we're, we're still not capital B Baptist. Okay, so we baptize adults who confess the gospel. Presbyterians sprinkle babies. Now, do we disagree with them strongly on that issue? Yeah, we do. But do we, are we able still, as long as they affirm the gospel and other aspects of primary doctrine, are we able to look at them and say, you are my brother or my sister in Christ? Yes, we can. Okay. And that gets difficult. You can see how you can, your mind maybe starts to think, well, yeah, but, yeah, but. And you have to work through that. It's tough. Okay. So primary doctrine, truth that affects fellowship with others. Secondary doctrine, convictions that affect ministry with others. And then doubtful things or opinions. These are conscience matters that affect friendships. Conscience matters that affect friendships. And uh, I'll give you a, another example um, that I already used, kind of. We'll just say drinking. Say someone um, drinks alcohol regularly but doesn't get drunk. And that person is free in his spirit to do that. Okay? No, no conviction about it. And say it's known by someone else in the church, and that person has a real strong conviction that he shouldn't drink anything and doesn't want to be around it. Perhaps that person got saved out of a, a drunkenness-type environment, out of that background. And it's a real sensitive subject. Are those people going to go out to eat together and, and have drinks together? They're not. And that, first, that second person, who has a real strong conviction about it, knowing that that person's probably going to order a drink while you're out in public, may affect that person's ability to say, yeah, I'll go out and have dinner with you. And that gets really complicated too, doesn't it? But these do affect our, our friendships. They, you can still go to the same church. You can believe everything all the way up to there. And you'd be, you can be members of the same church and still have your friendship affected in that way. And because our consciences are different, our opinions are different. Elizabeth. I have one question for each. Okay. Just the first question. Okay. Um, so, with that belief, what about smoking cigarettes? What about smoking cigarettes? Like, Does the Bible talk about it? No. So, what, what's the question? I mean, what's your opinion? Is it kind of, <laughs> is it kind of like drinking? Well, you know what's funny? I got a funny story about that. Um, my pastor in Missouri, his dad was a deacon in a, uh, I think probably a Baptist church in Mississippi in the 40s, 50s, 60s in that time period. After every deacon meeting or before every deacon meeting, however he phrased it, all the deacons would be sitting out on the steps of the church having a smoke. But none of them would dare think about having a drink. And today, it's almost like flipped. <laughs> Where like smoking is like, ah, smoking's the worst thing in the world. But it's, it's fine to have a drink. Generally, how our, how our culture views it. Okay? It just flipped. It's so funny how cultures kind of go through those things. What, what I would say, I think biblically, you can say an addiction to any substance is bad. Addiction is bad. I mean, Scripture lays that out. Let nothing, no substance should control you. You should be controlled by the Spirit of God. But outside of that, I mean... For some people, that means frappes from McDonald's. Okay? 
Uh, for some people, that may be cigarettes. For some people, it could be something else. So I, I think that would fall into a, a gluttony type category, addiction category. <laughs> yeah, diet, diet soda in this valley is controlling a lot of people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, the, uh-huh. What's, what's your other question, Lizzie? And then for secondary doctors, what about the Right, that, now that, it depends. It depends. So many of these things depend on what the individual person believes. Because in Pentecostalism, uh, it's a very broad branch. That will encompass people who call themselves Pentecostals, and uh, that will encompass people who are new breakoffs of Pentecostals that call themselves Pentecostals. It encompasses the Assemblies of God denomination, uh, all sorts of things. Um, it just depends on what the individual believes. Because some of those will say, you haven't been born again if you haven't spoken tongues. Actually, uh, what's interesting is the, like the Assemblies of God Church, which tends to be one of the most tame branches of Pentecostalism, their official doctrine says that. Now, how many individual members of the Assemblies of God Church are going to say that to you? Not very many, right? But that's what their documents say. You, if you're filled with the Spirit, it will be evidenced by speaking in tongues. I'd say that's a, that's a big issue. You shouldn't say that. Some would say you can uh, lose your salvation. That becomes a pretty big issue. Some would say um, within Pentecostalism that you have to be baptized in order to receive the Holy Spirit. That becomes an issue. But it just depends. Okay. Any other questions on this before we move to our little activity? Let me tell you, this is my favorite class. I, I told you last week I really didn't like that class. I don't like the way I arranged it. Nothing you did, all me. This is one of my favorites because this is revealing. This class reveals things, uh, this session. And I'm excited for things to be revealed. <laughs> so let's mix it up a little bit. Okay, I'm going to re require a little bit of moving around. Yeah. It, you, you may not get separated, I don't know. We'll do January through June birthdays over here, July through December over here. Okay. January through June, no, this way. July through December that way. I'm just trying to think of the month. And if I need to adjust them afterwards, I'll adjust them. I don't know. It might get kind of lopsided with a number of people. You guys need to gather around here, uh, the poster board I'm, I'm giving you. Alright, each side has the same poster board. Each side has the same baggie with the same contents in the baggie. In there, you will find doctrines or topics, and you have to decide as a group whether that doctrine or that topic is a primary issue, a secondary issue, or a matter of opinion. Okay? And uh, have at it. Have fun. And uh, try not to kill each other. Okay? All right, well, I hope that exercise helped you
to think through some stuff and, and just to realize how difficult this can be, right? And we all have to figure this out on our own. Because uh, what happens if you treat everything like it's a primary doctrine? <laughs> yeah, if you take all of your opinions from that green column and you take all of your convictions from that yellow column and you treat them all like they're in the red column, they're, you will attend a church of one, right? <laughs> That's it. So um, there has to be some sort of like gradient spectrum here where some things are primary and some things aren't. Now, both groups realize pretty quickly that the spectrum isn't as simple as here's a hard line between these columns and a hard line between these and I'll figure it out. It is more of a fade thing and, and you have to figure out uh, you know, where, where, you, where you land on that because uh, we could all recognize, okay, there's a line that's for sure 200 yards that way and some people will just leave that there and not draw any lines between here and there. And some people will say, yeah, but if you cross that line that's at 100 yards, you're in hot water too. And that's what gets difficult uh, in these conversations. And, and some of these, are not just to be you know, transparent, like uh, you can lose your salvation, that doctrine. Is that a primary issue or a secondary issue? Both groups struggled with that. Okay? If someone believes that you can lose your salvation, is that against Christianity? Oh, boy, it's tough, isn't it? It's real tough. Um, do we believe the Bible teaches that anywhere? No, we don't. But can someone believe the biblical gospel and be saved and think that they may one day lose their salvation? Well, yeah, I think that happens a lot. And you also have to take into account, did this person come out of a background where they were taught that and maybe they haven't gotten to that part in the Bible yet? Maybe they haven't been taught that yet, but they've truly been born again. And so it's an old belief that they've carried into Christianity. All kinds of issues like that, uh, that make it difficult. And, and so we want to, of course, not move everything into primary, but we also don't want to move everything into doubtful. What, what happens if we smush everything down into that green column and say that everything in the red, we're going to treat it like it's green? What happens then? Maybe like the rest of the world. We have no convictions. Yeah, no convictions, right? We, we, don't, we, we just say we don't know anything. We, we, uh, our religion is one of ignorance. We don't know. And it becomes very mystical at that point, too. Well, everybody has their own experience with God, and we're not going to judge anything. Well, that's a bad place to be, okay? Because God has given us His Word, hasn't He? And He's given us His Word so that we would have discernment, right? And we have to look at the world around us and analyze what's going on and, and judge it by the Word of God, okay? So that, that's how we are to live. So it's a, it's a difficult balance, uh, but it's a balance we have to aim for. We have to strive for this. And what's interesting, those poster boards were made in 2011. That's when I first thought of this concept. I was a, a youth pastor intern in Kansas City, and it didn't take me long to realize I didn't want to be a youth pastor. Okay, <laughs> That was not a lesson that the Lord had to like beat into my head. Um, um, it, it was something I realized rather quickly. But during that time, we had an interesting little group of youth. It was you know, six or seven kids, mostly girls. And um, a couple of them were from non-Christian homes or, or their parents were first-generation believers and they went to public school and lived that, that type of uh, lifestyle, whereas the others were very homeschooled and very strong Christian families and lived that type of lifestyle. And then you get them all in a room together and they have different opinions about things. 
And, uh, and so I thought, well, let's see where we are. And so that's where this idea of these poster boards came from. And uh, that was pretty revealing. I was like, okay, well, I could see this group really elevated some of these doctrines to treat them like they're life or death situations when they're really not. And this group over here was really kind of like, you know, saying these big issues didn't matter. Uh, and so we had a great conversation. It was a, it was a good time. And then that uh, led to my first iteration of this chart you have in front of you. And it's gone through five or six iterations. And I think I'm pretty well settled now. But it's been a, a helpful tool for me in ministry when talking to somebody about different beliefs, different opinions to help try to strike a balance. Because so often people come into a conversation about, hey, I disagree about this or that with you know, charismatic gifts or Calvinism or end times or whatever it may be. And everyone's coming in guns blazing. And it's like, well, let's make sure we've got the, that first column in line first. And then we can move on to the other conversations, recognizing where they, where they are in the Christian conversation. So at this time, I will entertain any thoughts or questions that you have about that experience or the chart or anything else regarding doctrine. Lizzie, you have a thought or two, do you? Yeah. So, like, what do you, and some people, they were feeling like the other people in the church were feeling more sad when they found them. Yeah. And I mean, it was like kind of like an interesting situation to consider, like, about these things and stuff. So, what, what would you say about that? So, you're talking a, uh, an abortion that the woman didn't choose to have, but that the, it was forced upon her, or she chose to do it? I mean, like, obviously, you can't do anything medically without the consent. Okay. Okay, so it was it was still elective, but because of the the risk factor was so high yeah. of her own life. Because yeah, like you can't grow a baby in, right. in the tube, so what do you do? Yeah, um, yeah, those are difficult. You, you hear those uh, ethical dilemmas all the time. Like there's the one with the bridge, and uh, how's that one go? It's like your your own son will die, or you could flip the switch and save like a hundred people or whatever. And what do you do in these ethical oh, dilemmas? Right. Yeah, those are. Yeah, those are you know, presented all the time as difficult. And a lot of times those hypotheticals aren't very helpful, but we know with something like that, it's a very real-world scenario, isn't it? Um, we know this, that uh, the life in the womb is human life, and that a person bears the image of God and a person exists from the moment of conception. From the moment of conception, you don't have uh, evolution taking place in the womb where that's like a primate and be, you know, that thing becomes a human later. That's not what happens. You have from the moment of conception, human life in the womb bearing the image of God. We know that destroying the image of God is murder. We know that too, don't we? Um, unless in, uh, there are certain cases like uh, you think of war, for example. Um, the commandment says you shall not murder. Uh, we don't look at war and say that all war is sinful. Okay, we, we, We're not pacifists like the Mennonites or other groups like that, but we recognize in, um, in war or self-defense even that, that this isn't murder, but it's, it's something that's of some necessity. So, um, so where does that abortion issue fall, the uh, terminating the, the life, the image bearer in the womb in a case like that? Um, every situation is different, so that's what the, probably the first thing I'll say, is unless you have all the details for any given situation, 
you can't uh, jump right in and make a blanket statement that would apply to all people. But you can make general statements like abortion is murder. I will make that statement and I'm not going to back down from that statement. Abortion is murder. Okay. Um, now, if there's some sort of detail that needs to be shared, if someone is offended by that and says, well, here's my situation, well, let's talk about it, but I'm not going to back down and, and say, I'm going to put an asterisk on, on that statement and say, abortion is murder, unless it hurts your feelings or whatever. I'm not going to do that. Um, but I am going to be open to, let's, let's talk about it if, if someone's offended and let's, let's think through that some more. Okay. Way to start off with a heavy one. Other thoughts or questions? Asia Beer. Yeah. Is that a thought or a question? Okay. <laughs> well, you want, you want to know what it is? If, if you listen to the History Channel, uh -huh. as I do very often, mm -hmm. you've got two different versions of, of the age of the earth. Mm -hmm. My version is what states in the Bible, but I come to the conclusion that the earth was formed by God, and in my table, History, it seems to me that it's around 6,000 years old, but the scientific community keeps pounding into people's heads that it's millions of years old. And I'm asking you what your view is. Yeah, uh, I don't believe you get that from the Bible. I think the only way to get there would be to appeal to the scientific community that begins with the starting point of the Bible is not valid. They ignore the Bible from the beginning. They, they don't think Genesis has anything to contribute. They don't think Scripture has anything to contribute to what they're doing. They don't start with the realization that God is and He has revealed Himself. Therefore, they, they, leave, they go wherever they want to go with the data. Um, so that's the first thing to recognize, that the scientific community doesn't interpret the Bible for me. Those who reject the Bible don't interpret it for me. Well, they're, in their interpretations, they're establishing a point using something that's man-made to establish that. Thing. Yes. That's why, where I find it inconceivable to believe. Well, and what's interesting too, like carbon-14 dating, what, do you know what they don't take into account? Is a, a worldwide flood that would change the atmosphere entirely. They assume that our atmosphere right now is the same that it's always been. Well, the Bible tells us there was a pretty big atmospheric shift with the flood, right? Uh, and so uh, there was a, a, a breakdown of things the way that they were. And, and anybody who starts with the assumption that the Bible is false is not going to tell me how to read my Bible. That's just bottom line for me. Now, but here's the issue. There, you notice it's in the second column, not in the first column. Because there are some people who teach that um, the age of the earth is older, but don't hold to evolution. To me, evolution is a deal breaker. If evolution was on the chart, it would be in primary. Because if you believe in evolution, you have to do away with the historical Adam. You, you would have to do away with Adam was the first man. And scripture is just abundantly clear that Adam was the first man. And so if you're going to say that, you know, Adam, Adam was actually the first homo sapien that the Bible talked about, but there were many before. You'd have to say that there was sin and death before Adam. And if you go there, that affects a lot of scripture. Uh, but if someone can reject evolution and still believe the earth is older. Maybe someone says, yeah, the earth is 100,000 years old. And the way they get there is that, um, you know, maybe the earth was created or the world was created in six literal days, the universe. 
and then after that, there were long generations. Uh, and the Bible doesn't talk about every generation. So maybe there are gaps in the generation lists that are in the Bible. Uh, and that makes the earth older, but doesn't make it billions of years old or millions of years old with evolution playing a factor. So there are different views that people take on that, and that's why it's in the second column. But to me, if you embrace evolution, you lose so much of the Bible. You would have to, by necessity. Well, in my opinion, you lose the whole Bible. Yeah, right. Yeah, and if you lose Genesis 1 through 12, just those first 12 chapters of the Bible, you lose it all. That's the foundation. So, yeah. Other thoughts or questions? Got about five minutes. I could just do a tap dance for you, <laughs> fill the time. April, thank you for saving me from the tap dance. <clears throat> believe in works righteousness. So, yeah, if you notice on uh, gospel message in the first column there, the fifth point is justification by faith alone, believing that uh, we are saved by faith, that God doesn't require any works from us for salvation. We are declared innocent by faith in what Jesus has done, not in anything that we have done. And yeah, that can, um, that can be a real sticking point in our relationships, can't it? Now, can you be friends with People of false religions and people who claim no religion, of course you can, right? Um, but it can make it difficult. Uh, they won't want to go to the same you know, Christmas Eve service as you or uh, Easter service or whatever if they're going to be a member of another religion. Yeah, that can affect that. For sure. Especially what gets difficult is if someone for a season appeared to believe the same as you um, well, even more general than that, if someone appeared to be a Christian, and then later on down the road, that person apostatizes, d denies the faith. Can you still be friends with that person? Yes, but boy, it's hard. You thought you had fellowship. You thought they, you were brothers, sisters in Christ, whatever the case may be, and then they go on to deny the faith. That's really difficult. Yep. So what happened to Ah, yeah. When someone uh, comes to our church and says, I recognize that this is what you believe, uh, say, let me pick one, on biblical inerrancy under dogma, the first one under dogma, that we believe that the Bible is trustworthy and it's sufficient, it's authoritative, okay? If someone comes and says, I know that's what you guys believe, I don't believe that. Well, we recognize that there will always be those in uh, with us who aren't, truly Christians. I mean, well, people come and don't believe in God, and they're interested, and they come maybe for two, three, four weeks, and they just want to know what we're all about. That happens. I mean, uh, we're not going to you know, pretend like everyone who walks in is a Christian. Uh, but if a person wants to stay long-term, and especially if a person wants to have any kind of influence in the church, then it becomes an issue. And then church leadership has to say, okay, why are you here? <laughs> you know, if this primary doctrine you disagree with that affects so much of what we do, teach, say, count, how we counsel people, if you don't agree with that, then why, why are you here? I think that's a very fair question. And, and we kind of pursue an answer there and hope to persuade that person. Um, but especially if someone wants to come in and says, yeah, I know that the church doctrinal statement says this, 
But I'm going to go around and make my little groups, have my little influences here and there. That's going to be a big problem, and we will ask a person to leave. Um, that's why we have a doctrinal statement, to define who we are. And we can't tolerate someone undermining that at every turn. So. No, uh, if a person's not a believer, um, we don't owe that to them. If a person's just being divisive, we're just going to say leave, <laughs> right? Um, who, who denies the faith. I mean, if you're de denying a definitional aspect of the faith, leave. Uh, unless you're just here to learn, we're, then stay. We'll feed you. We'll pat you on the back. We'll be friendly. Um, but someone who wants to undermine the faith, uh, here's the door, right? Yeah. Yeah, secondary, um, yeah, that, that's where it gets a little trickier. So uh, if we had a Presbyterian come, we'll just beat up on Presbyterians today. <laughs> if we had a Presbyterian come uh, who wasn't convinced of believer's baptism, but uh, wanted to attend this church and, and wanted to stay here long term, that's totally fine. Uh, it would be a curious thing. In a place like this, you're not going to find a good Presbyterian church anywhere around. And maybe that's the case uh, where it's like, well... I'll settle here, and, and that's fine. I mean, unless you want to drive an hour to find a good Presbyterian church in Salt Lake. But so many of the Presbyterian churches here, I think there's one in Spanish Fork that's super, super liberal. Um, so, I mean, I, I, I would understand. And maybe that person never becomes a member because of that, but is just here long term. And in a case like ours, I could see that. Yeah, yeah, potentially. I mean, depending on, on stuff. So that one isn't as pervasive in Scripture. It doesn't come up a ton. I mean, you try to think of the last time that we taught on baptism. It's probably been a while because it just doesn't come up a lot. Uh, but if a person does have a sec has a secondary disagreement with us, and by with us, I mean our doctrinal statement. Okay, If it's something that our doctrinal statement doesn't touch, that means we've allowed for other views. But if our doctrinal statement touches it and they disagree and then they want to have influence on that issue, then we go through the steps of church discipline. Dusty. What is salvation? All right, yeah, that's a that's a big one. Let's see, in thirty seconds, how can I say that? <laughs> All right. So there are two ends of the spectrum, and I'm going to give you the extremes. One extreme is free grace, what we call free grace, or you could call it easy believism, where it's you don't require someone to be sorry for sin when they come to faith to recognize Jesus as Lord over their life um, or, to, or to submit to Christ in any sense when coming to faith. Extreme. But, but you still have to recognize, I recognize that Jesus died in my place for my sins and rose again, and that's how I'm saved. But you don't have to be sorry for your sin or commit to following him in any sense. The other side, the other extreme, um, can almost sound legalistic where it's like, you have to prove that you truly believe by living a life that has evidence that meets, you know, usually it's my standards, whoever the person is saying it. You have to change here, here, and here before I'm going to believe that salvation actually took. I don't think you actually believe because you're still struggling with this sin. He's not Lord over your life in that area. So those are the extremes, okay? And uh, that's, that's a tough one to work yeah, through. It, it comes up a lot. Okay. <laughs> I sufficiently... Discomforted all of you? <laughs> I love this class. It's a good one. Uh, okay, well, the, keep thinking through these things. And the importance, the important point is this. Theology matters, and not every doctrine is the same in importance, right? Okay, so if you can keep those two things in mind, uh, you'll be doing all right. Let's pray.
Father, thank you so much for today and help us to think through these things rightly, that we would honor you with the way that we handle the word of God and apply these truths to our lives and the way that we show charity, love, grace, patience, kindness toward our fellow believers. God, help us to serve you well in this way, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.